Old Testament lesson, I'd like us to take a look at Micah, chapter 4, at verse 13. I'm going to read beginning of verse 13 of chapter 4, through the first part of verse number 5, the fifth chapter. Micah here, the prophet, has just likened Israel to gathering sheaves. And now he calls on Israel and Judah to, th to thresh their enemies and prepare themselves for battle. But the encouragement in the midst of all this is the wonderful second verse of chapter 5, a wonderful promise of the Christ to come, the Redeemer to come. Beginning at verse 13 of Micah chapter 4, Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make your horn iron, and I will make your hooves bronze, and you shall beat in pieces many peoples, and shall devote their gain to the Lord, their wealth to the Lord of the whole earth. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel." And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. And now for our New Testament lesson, and the text for this morning is from Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. Now, as you look at this passage, and you see the title of it, you might be thinking, I know what Pastor Malcor has done. He's going to give this message on December 26th, but he got snowed out, so he wasn't able to do it. So he's going to give it to us now. If you think that way, you are correct. <laughs> but it is relevant because we know that Jesus in Bethlehem's manger was only there for a short time. Later in the chapter, chapter 2, verse 11, we find that they were in a house. We don't know how much after that. It's been 22 days after December 25th, 22 days or so, till today, January 16th. But we're going to look at this uh, very familiar passage. I hope it won't blind you to some new things you might understand about the section particularly the first verses of chapter 2. So let me read then for you verses 1 through 10. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. 
they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O both Bethlehem and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring the word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Several years ago, there was an ocean liner sailing westward across the Pacific. The name of that ocean liner was the Marine Pacific. And at exactly midnight on December 24th, going westbound, they crossed the international date line. And at that moment, everyone on board was now living in December 26th. They had gone from December 24th to December 26th. They had missed Christmas Day, December 25th, completely. Well, that's an illustration of what we want to consider this morning. Missing Christmas or missing Jesus' birth is what I want you to think about uh, for these next few moments this morning. Now, of course, we are aware that at the first Christmas, there were many that did not miss it, certainly Mary and Joseph, the shepherds, the animals in the stable, but there were many who did not. So as we look at this familiar passage, let's begin with the wise men. They're referred to there in verse number one. The Greek word is the magi, from which we get the words uh, magic. Surely the most mysterious characters of the whole Christmas narrative. They, they suddenly appear on the scene, and then just as quickly they disappear. Don't know a whole lot specific about them. They come from the east. Some translations have it that way. The English Standard Version has when it rose. Again, the Greek text says, from the rising. In other words, from the rising of the sun, from eastward. Did they come from Arabia? Did they come from India? Or did they come from... Persia, probably from Persia. How many were there? Did they ride on camels? Were there three of them? So much we don't know. The Bible's not specific. We get a lot of our thoughts about these wise men from Christmas cards. With wise men, three wise men on the camel that sort of thing. But we really don't know that much about them. By the 6th century, the three wise men, supposedly three, have been given names. One name was Baal's, was Gaspar. Gaspar. Second one name was Balasar. And the third name, wait for it, Melkor. 
That's right, M-E-L-C-H-O-I-R, Melchior. Which explains why Melchors have been people of such great wisdom and understanding. In the 12th century, a bishop of Cologne even claimed to have found the skulls of these three men. So who knows all kinds of things that have taken place because of that. As I said, probably they came from Persia. And there the Magi, or the wise men, were the most prominent and powerful priestly political group highly respected as advisors. That's why they sought their, their wisdom. They were especially skilled in astronomy and astrology. In their heathen wisdom, they were accustomed to calculating the destiny of men by the movement of the stars. And so even today, in 2022, there are people involved in astrology, learning to follow the signs of the stars. By the way, I'm a Pisces. I'm a fish. They came to Jerusalem. Probably when they came, they were a very imposing sight upon their arrival with a, a great deal of pomp and show, a unique dress, possibly riding not on camels, but on Arabian steeds or horses. Undoubtedly, they traveled with a small army of sorts for their protection. Because of their wealth and prestige and power, they had the appearance and demeanor of royalty, which is why they've been called the three kings coming from the Orient. However, Roman soldiers, when they saw them come into Jerusalem, must have had some concern about this foreign influence arriving. Because Judea was a small buffer between most of the Roman Empire and the Persian Empire off to the east. But why were they prompted to come to Jerusalem? Well, I think the answer is they must have learned a lot from the exiles, of the, the Jewish exiles who lived there, including especially Daniel. Did you know that Daniel was considered a wise man in Babylon? In the second chapter, we read, Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed, to destroy the wise men of Babylon because they could not interpret the king's dream. Daniel went and said, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. And this is exactly what Daniel did. So later in that chapter, we read that the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. So when you think about the wise men, don't forget... Daniel and his influence, the influence of others who knew about God's covenant with his people, who knew about the promised Christ, the promised Messiah to come. I'm sure that that's where they picked up much of their information about Israel's God and the coming king. Even Roman historians like Suetonius and Tacitus each speak of powerful rulers coming out of Judea to rule the world. And Josephus also, the Jewish historian, also alludes to that. The Romans themselves were looking to some kind of great age that might come from certain wise men from the area of Judea. So quite likely, these wise men were God-fearing Gentiles, who I believe had been, uh, the Lord had taken them and worked in their hearts by His Spirit 
to bring them an understanding of their simple predicament, to put them, their faith in the coming Christ of whom Daniel talked about. And so when they learned about the fact that his birth would be around that time, they took a special interest in it. Daniel, at the end of Daniel 9, there's a very difficult passage, but in it he gives some chronological uh, indications of when the Messiah might be born. We read in Daniel 9.24 and following, 70 weeks from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince shall be seven weeks, 62 weeks. Without getting into all the meaning of that, people who knew Daniel, Daniel's prophecy would have a general idea of when he was coming. So we think of Simeon in Luke chapter 2, this godly man who had an understanding that probably Christ would come, and then the Lord revealed to him that he would not die until he saw the Lord's anointed. So there were some little time references here that people, if they knew their, their Bible, as we would say, they would have an idea of when this was going to occur. But, of course, they also came to Jerusalem because of the star that we alluded to as I read the scripture for you a moment ago. Now, what was this star? Was it Jupiter? Was it a conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn? Or other planets? Was it a low-hanging meteor? Or, some have even suggested, something like the Shekinah glory of the fire and the uh, pillar of fire by day, by night, and the pillar of cloud by day. This glory that was displayed by God to the Israelites in their journeys. The Bible just doesn't explain it, and I'm not going to try to explain that this morning. Whatever it was, it indicated some kind of divine supernatural guidance. Notice it says, His star. We have seen His star, the Lord's star. The star of the promised Christ the Messiah. And somehow they put all this together and they made their journey westward and wound up in Jerusalem. Might the Magi have been acquainted with Numbers 24:17, where Balaam, under the inspiration of and guidance of the Holy Spirit, said these words: I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Now that verse would have got the attention of the Magi in Persia, that astrological reference there. Another question arises, why did they just come into Jerusalem? Why didn't they go right down to Bethlehem? And it's interesting that all the Bible commentaries I have, nobody deals with that, answering that question. A couple of things came to my mind. One is, despite their knowledge of much of the scripture, Old Testament scriptures that Daniel had shared with them, perhaps Micah 5 2, they have either not learned it or they have forgotten about that. But secondly, and I think this might have some uh, way to answer that question, they came into Judea, but they didn't have road maps like we have. This was a new area to them. And they weren't quite sure exactly where to go to find where Christ was born. It doesn't say, you know, where's Bethlehem? All they ask is, where, where's the one that's born king of the Jews? So they come. And they come, at the beginning of verse 2, you see the word saying. 
saying. That's a present participle, meaning continued action. It happens now and it continues. They were saying over and over and over again, asking this question, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? They assumed that everyone in Judea, Jerusalem especially, would know this. But as we look, as they came into the city, they found something quite surprising. So I want you to use your imagination a little bit, and let's go back and accompany these wise men as they come into Jerusalem. They look around. They see that uh, no one seems to be aware of anything special. Crowds milled in the street, going about their daily business as, as usual. There were no banners around. It's a boy! Our king has been born! Nothing like that. The royal residence of King Herod sat in its normal setting, dignified position. The expression on the Roman soldiers displayed nothing in particular. No one seemed to be aware of what had happened. We can see them going to a merchant selling his wares, and he shakes his head, don't know. To a woman carrying a water vase on her head, where is he that's born king of the Jews? Again, no idea. A little boy playing with his dog, maybe he would know. Nope. One of those Roman soldiers standing on the streets. No answer. Ah, there's a priest heading toward the temple, and some of the scribes going along with the priest. Let's, let's ask him. Let's ask them. They gave no answer. They seemed to have no interest in the fact that Jesus had been born in Bethlehem. What an interesting situation. Let's look at some of the reactions here as given to us in verses 3 through 6. First of all, the reaction of Herod when he learned about this. He was caught by surprise. Now, the Magi probably had not gone directly to Herod, even though it seems to indicate that. But all we know is in verse 3, he did hear about it. He heard that question, and he was troubled. That is a very strong Greek word. It means it was, he was shaken, perplexed, disturbed, agitated, terrified. Why did he react that way? He, wasn't he the king of the Jews here? Well, he knew he was a usurper to the throne, having it only because of Rome's previous action in taking over Judea by force and planning him as the king. He was not even a Jew. He was an Edomite. So he's bothered by this news that, what, a new king has been born? What, how can that be? Who is this? This is disturbing news, undoubtedly. It's interesting that King Herod would be this way. Wasn't he supposed to be representing the spiritual leadership of the nation? Well, that had long gone by the wayside. Gone was David, Hezekiah, Josiah. So they had a very evil, wicked man. But it says not only was he troubled, but all Jerusalem with him. Now, I think there are two reasons why they were very agitated. One, their fear of King Herod, 
who knew what he might do to them. Many times he had already exhibited his, his cruelty, his ruthlessness, his extreme jealousy. He had killed several possible successors to his throne. He killed his wife, killed his two sons, killed his mother-in-law. Not a nice guy. And upon this news, the people in Jerusalem would have feared a bloody insurrection that might arise or persecution. Alfred Edersheim, a very godly Jewish man who became a Christian, wrote a wonderful life of Christ. He wrote, Jerusalem at this time was a place of luxury, frivolity, immorality, despite evidence of poverty, misery, and bondage around them. A savior was the last thing many would want. The idea of a new reign of righteousness made them uneasy. Better to keep the status quo of Herod. But a second reason I think that they were troubled is simply they did not know about this. They were in ignorance of it, despite all the background of the Old Testament scriptures that they had had. And so, but they were not led to worship. They were not heading toward Bethlehem at all. They only were troubled. As were the chief priests and the scribes. Chief priests, that's part of the priestly aristocracy. Very much political and religious power was in their hands, largely the Sadducees. Then there were the Pharisees. These were the scribes, authorities on Jewish law. They were really the, the theologians of the day. But they seem to have drawn a blank, at least initially. Now, it's certainly possible that as soon as they heard that question, some of them might have gone directly to Herod So said, we understand you're wondering where the king of the Jews is. Well, it says in Micah 5.2, it's going to be in Bethlehem. But it's also possible that they did not know. They had forgotten about it in their ignorance. So finally, somebody looked it up and took the message to King Herod. They were the best religious minds in the nation. Yet they stayed in Jerusalem. All the Magi went to Bethlehem. We have no record that they went down to Bethlehem to see. No interest at all. So this is a very familiar passage. I hope I brought some new insights to you that you're thinking about this. Let me make now some, some comments and some applications about what we've looked at so far this morning. First of all, that, that was way back in the first century. We're now in the 21st century. On the one hand, in our nation, it's been impossible for anyone to have missed Christmas. How could anybody say, I didn't know anything about Christmas? The lights, the music, the decorations, family gatherings, it's just all, we're, we're just, it's just all around us. But on the other hand, in terms of the birth of Jesus and its significance, how many went through December 25th with little or no thought about that? You might be surprised. No relationship of the birth of Christ to the good news of the gospel message of the Christian church. If the Magi were to visit one of our cities today, likely they would be asking the same question. Not where is he that is born king of the Jews, but 
What's the story about Jesus' birth? Why is he so important? Isn't it quite remarkable that so many in Judea missed that first Christmas with all the Old Testament prophecies, as I said? One would expect more readiness on their part. I think we, it boils down to their sinful hearts, their sinful minds. They had been clouded to the truth. They had lost interest in it. It was old hat. They had heard this many, many times. Their parents had taught it to it many times. They just didn't respond to it. Besides, there are many other things going on in their lives. They just pushed it aside. Consider the ignorance in our nation today of the Bible, let alone what's in the Bible specifically like the significance of the birth of Jesus. People have just missed that completely. Well, they might have heard it, but it hasn't gripped their hearts and their minds. We've seen what the Jerusalem government was like. What about our government in our country? How many American statesmen on the national level, the state level, the local level, Democrats, Republicans, Libertarians, whatever the party, how many of those in leadership of our land, when Christmas came, gave thanks to the Lord for Jesus and submitted themselves to him? Probably not many. The 2,000 plus years of Christian history behind us, the light of Jesus' birth should be brighter. Instead, it's darker and getting darker as the years go by. The religious leadership didn't help either, did it? So much faulty teaching and ideas and infiltrated Israel that there were few who looked sincerely for a virgin to conceive and bear a son. And on top of all that, call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. What a strange idea, almost a blasphemous idea. And so the people of that day, back in the first century, that was their training. That was their understanding. You can't really believe that. Think of today's false teaching and the strange, confused ideas of Jesus in our churches. Some of you may not know that our denomination was founded back in 1936, and one of the key theological issues of the day was the virgin birth of Christ. And our figurehead leader who taught New Testament at Princeton Seminary and later at Westminster, Dr. J. Gresson Machen, wrote a book, The Virgin Birth of Christ. A few years ago, I waded through that again. It's very academic, and yet Machen writes in a very simple style. And if any of you have any questions in your mind this morning, about the virgin birth, well, how can that be, and what about this, what about that? Read Machen's book. He deals with every possible argument. Just when you think he's dealt with it, he comes up with something else. He raises this question. He raises this argument against it and deals with all those things. So we believe we have a very strong reason to accept what the Bible so clearly presents, the virgin birth of Christ. But my, how many churches aren't doing that? Obviously, what is needed is the gift of faith, which I said earlier, I believe that the wise men had received uh, through the work of God in their hearts. Because at the end of verse 2, we read, we have come to worship him. 
And that word worship is a strong word, meaning to fall down before, to prostrate one before, to do in humility, adore, and acknowledge. That's what they came to do when they came and found the baby Jesus. How many do that today? Worship Christ in that way. And what about you? Have you done that at some point in your life where you have seen your sin, you've seen your need of a Savior, Jesus, you acknowledge indeed He was the Son of God who became man and gave His life for you? The prophet Jeremiah speaks on behalf of the Lord when he says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And aren't these wise men good examples of men who came and sought Jesus with all their heart? We want to worship him. What a mess has been made of what we call Christmas. Originally, tended to focus on the birth of Jesus. But our happy holiday has virtually smothered much of the truth about Jesus' birth. Recently, in an article, an opinion article in the Medford Mail Tribune, I was captured by the title, Holidays Simplified Can Bring Us Back to the Basics. Oh, okay. This is good. Let's see what it has to say. There's no denying that Christmas has come to be about the gifts. We gain joy from our children's joy, from the pleasure our gifts engender. But that's far from what the holidays really mean. So I thought, okay, the writer you're finally going to get to it. He's talked about the gifts. Now we're going to get to the significance of the birth of Jesus. Well, that's far from what the holidays really mean and have meant. It's always been a time for many to focus on prayerful contemplation, family, togetherness, love, and support, plus the fulfillment of giving where it matters most to those in need. Nothing about the Son of God becoming man, living a perfect life, securing righteousness for those who put their trust in Him. This writer, along with many others in our country, missed the significance of Christ's birth. So, another December 25th has come and gone. As you look back to that day, did you take some time to reflect upon Christ's birth? Oh, I'm sure you, you came to church, you probably read a devotional, read from Luke chapter 2, something like that. But did you ever take time by yourself, quietly, to focus on the reality that God became man, and when that baby was born, that was the God-man. Two natures, one person. And he came to give his life for you, a sinner. Die for people like you and me with our sin problem. If you didn't do that, I would trust it's not too late to do it sometime 
Because I have a hunch, and it's so easy to do, that as you look back upon December 25th, you have to admit to yourself, you know, I guess Pastor Malcor's right. I guess I did miss Christmas in the fullest sense. But it's never too late to put your trust in Jesus and accept his gift on that Christmas day. Let me lead us in prayer. Father in heaven, how we thank you for your gift of Jesus. Oh, Holy Spirit, how we thank you that you've opened up the hearts of your people to understand this truth, to accept it. It is criticized on all sides. It's ignored, mocked. And yet those of us who trust the word of God find it so meaningful to us. May you minister to us constantly day by day that we might not neglect nor forsake your great love to us in Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.